0: for a few minutes. I think it's important to share the word of the Lord out of Luke chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 11. we We're going to Luke chapter 16 first. Luke chapter 16 in the New Living Translation, and we're going to be going to verse 19. <sighs> Who's back there today? Jesse? Yeah. Your time, your mission trip's coming too. Yeah. We, got of, we got a whole bunch of candidates. Jacob. Who's it? Well, yeah, Jake and Noah's already been. Yeah. Okay. The New Living Translation. I'm going to share out of Matthew 11 also, but we're going to start here. And uh, just a few thoughts. And before we start here, uh, the Holy Spirit does not want anybody to feel bad about what they have. But what we have, I think, correlates to what we give. I think that the the Scripture teaches that when we give, it's blessed down, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And so, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And see, that's a good example of what God can do when we put our trust in Him, when our, when our life is focused on the right thing. And there's nothing wrong with being blessed because you guys wouldn't be able to bless the young people of this church or the young people if you weren't blessed. But God loves that. He loves that. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived every day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Pretty rough. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. You'll notice they went to two different places. The poor man went to be in the presence of the Lord. I know we quote the Scripture all the time, To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. But that applies if you've made the Lord Jesus Christ your Savior. That's the first stipulation of that. It's not guaranteed to everybody or the whole world as the whole world wants to think. God said, you are a called-out nation. You're a called-out generation. You were made for such a time as this. You're a peculiar people. You are a light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. The one man went to the place of the dead, the rich man, because he didn't have his priorities straight. We have one life to live, one chance at this thing. We get one trip through life. We don't come back as somebody's donkey or somebody's this or that or as a tree. We are made in the image of God, and the image and the Spirit and the breath that He's lent us belongs to Him. We are who we are, as Paul said, because of the grace of God. And he said, I don't live, it's Christ that lives in me. How many of you today, Christ lives in you? And it makes you something special because God says you are. I shared yesterday how God says you are His masterpiece. masterpieces. Some people travel all the way to, how many, how many ever been to Paris? Anybody ever been to Paris in here? If you went to some of the art galleries and things over there, they have all the great works, all the masterpiece works that have endured for hundreds of years, and they're called masterpieces because it, it changed the way people looked at things, I never understood what's so great about the Mona Lisa, but obviously somebody does because that's one of the most famous paintings anywhere. It was painted in Renoir. I don't understand all that stuff and some of this abstract stuff, but what it did is it caught people's eyes because it was a masterpiece. It was considered something special. Well, I'm going to tell you today there's nothing more special than your relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Another thing about masterpieces is you don't put them in a back room and hide them because you want people to see them. And a lot of people try to hide, even though they're very blessed. And as Darlene's so fond of saying all the time, we have talents and giftings, every one of us. And you don't do that and put it away somewhere. You hang it up for everybody to see. And when you understand that you're a masterpiece… When these young people understand that they're special in God's eyes, not maybe not in the world's eyes because the world has a different opinion and they don't see like God sees. But when God sees and he sees people that are doing what he's asked them to do, he says, here's another masterpiece and I'm going to hang this on my wall for everybody to see. That gives us value, which I love to preach about our value. It's not a prideful value. It's a value that God has placed upon that. He's he's placed it upon his treasure. We are his treasure. We are his masterpiece. But anyhow, they went to two different places. That's the choice that we have throughout life. Everyone that has ever lived has this choice to where you're going to go. Jeremy was teaching about in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as it does in Thessalonians. Just blink real quick. (sighs) That's how quick, that's how quick you're going to be in the presence of the Lord if you know Him as your Savior today. And if you don't, you can blink all you want and they ain't going to do you no good. Because you get one time through this life. And we need to re- realize that, yes, we're blessed with good things, but there's more important things. The important things is the beggar at the door. The important thing is whether we're going to be a Pharisee or a publican. The Pharisee said, God, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. And the publican stayed in the back of the temple and beat his breast and said, Lord, thank you. I thank you for what you've made me. Where the Pharisee said, I thank you. I'm not like all these other people. You know, the the Republican had God's heart. He had the heart of Jesus. You have his heart today if you listen to his voice. Verse 24 says, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in torment or anguish in these flames. We must in our life come to the realization there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shine. We must know that in our lives. That's what motivates us. How many of you know it's easy to lay down your Christianity when you just feel wore out? You feel like you're out of words. You don't have anything else to say. You've heard it all before. But we need to realize that the compelling factor is that Jesus said, go you into all the world and make disciples of all men, of all men. But Abraham said to him in verse 25, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. And Lazarus had nothing. So now he is being comforted, and you are in anguish. Which basically says that we, we love the world, and we love being blessed, but now the tables are turned. Once you go into eternity, the tables turn. The earth no longer matters. What matters is your spiritual condition and your soul. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's got to get excited beside me. Yeah. Yeah. I shared yesterday at the cemetery... That we had went as far as we could go. Roy, thank you for being a soldier in God's army. But physically, we can only go so far. Especially as you get older, you realize that physically, you can only go so far. And we went physically as far as we could with Linda. Roy stayed for the whole ceremony. He lowered the casket. Physically, he had to turn and walk away from that because that's as far as his physical body could take him in his love toward his wife. And the minute the physical part was over and he could no longer live in that realm, then everything is in God's hands after that. We must live our lives realizing that the physical will only take us so far no matter how much we're in love no matter how much we no matter what that's when the spiritual takes over and when the spiritual takes over is when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ apply the blood of Jesus to your life and you have insurance that you're not going to go to the place of the dead to await the judgment whenever that comes up but you as a Christian are going to go to be in the twinkling of an eye in the presence of God You know how fast the twinkling of an eye is? I can't even show you because you can't see it from up here. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. You say, well, thank God I've labored all my life. Well, that's what a reward is. Think about it. There's things that we don't do because we are who we are. And sometimes you, you say, oh, man, uh, God this and God that and God this and God that. There's going to be a reward. The Bible says that he's going to come back and he's going to bring his recompense. He's going to bring his reward with him. Wow. <laughs> now he's being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to them from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Whoa, look out now. Our very breath is a gift of God. He formed man out of the dust of the earth. he formed you out of the dust of the earth and he breathed the breath of life into you and you became a living soul and that's what returns to the Lord that's why we sing that song that was written way back it is well with my soul we need to understand and I need to understand in my life that when sin entered in that the access to the Father was interrupted, which is always the trick of the enemy. In our own personal lives, He wants to interrupt your access to the Father by <laughs> placing barriers in your way. That's why First Corinthians says, this. This corruptible is going to put on incorruption. And when we are incorruptible and in the presence of the Lord, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The only victory is not in the grave, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he led captivity captive. We got to realize that he's the bridge. From being lost to being saved. He laid down his life. If you look at him, the Bible says in Psalms, as David said, that he's a strong tower. He's a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are what? Come on now. He's a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are saved. He's the bridge between being lost and being saved. And we either accept him or reject him. And we accept his lifestyle or we reject his lifestyle. But we need to realize that there's a great thing. And I love what Jesus said here. You know, that people talk about near-death experiences and things like that. I don't understand all that stuff. It's big, too big for me to understand how all that works. But I have the assurance that I'm going to be with the Lord in the moment. I have that. I don't understand how it works. But I realized that nobody can cross over. Uh, Go to verse 27 and it says, the rich man said, well, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's house, my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want, want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. That means how real it is. Don't ever be embarrassed by the resistance of your family because you have the words of life. He said, can you just send him to, to end this torment that I'm in? But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they said, or they wrote. And the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. You know who who returned to them from the dead? Somebody say his name. It was Jesus. He returned from the dead and they didn't believe. That's why Hebrews said we're surrounded with such a great crowd of witnesses because they're believers and they're rooting us on, they're cheering us on. And the Bible says, in heaven, if one comes to a knowledge of God, that the angels rejoice. That's how important you are. The angels are the masterpiece protectors because God sends them into our life. That's why the Word says, be careful because you don't know if you're entertaining angels unawares. They're our protector. They're sent by God on a mission. They're not the Savior, but they're on a mission. They're on a mission. I'm finishing up. And Jesus was the one that rose from the dead. And he said, the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, if somebody sent from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. That's why we give altar calls, because everyone in here, and everyone that might come in these doors, and everyone that goes to other churches, the purpose of a church is to be a family first, point to the truth of God, but to tell them this is the final decision that God has made. You either accept me or you reject me. I don't care what you had on earth. You need to go from the physical to the spiritual in your understanding. And Abraham said in verse 31, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't even listen if someone rises from the dead. You know, it's interesting. I've been preaching since 1981, and it's interesting to see the reaction that I get when I preach. Well, not so much when I preach, but the reaction to the Word of God when it's shared. Jesus said to the… or Father Abraham said, you know, the Gospels went out. This is what you do. This is the Gospel. And even to this day, with everything that we got and all the blessings that we have, here's the typical reactions that I see to the Gospel. Skepticism. Not you guys. But when you speak to people, you see a lot of skepticism. First questions you hear is, well, if God does this and God does that, how come there's this and how come there's that? It ain't none of your business how come there's this and how come there's that, because He's God. Humanism tells us that we got to know everything. we got to be this, we got to be that. we got to be smarter than God's, and if we stay at this thing long enough, we will become God's. That's what a humanistic spirit says. We can make ourselves into gods. Well, let me tell you something. For 6,000 years since creation and man's been on this earth, they've been trying to make themselves into gods, and it ain't worked yet. It ain't worked yet. Thank God I don't have to try no more to make myself into God. Think about that for a minute. You can be the handsomest, prettiest, wealthiest, ugliest but it don't matter. You can't make yourself into God because He's supreme. In Genesis chapter 1, it said God created the heavens and the earth. He created you. And there was darkness over the face and there was chaos. And the Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos. So in our lives today, who's the hoverer? Who's watching over us? It's the Holy Spirit. God created us that way and He's going to end us that way. The Spirit of God is watching over you today. Hallelujah. He brings order to broken lives. Another thing I've seen when the word is preached, it makes people uncomfortable. People get real uncomfortable for the word of God because the word of God says it will not return void, that our words will not fall to the ground. The messenger is not the responsible one, the responsible one is the receiver. What else do I see? Sometimes people look at me and they're perplexed. I don't get all that. How many of you, before you came to the Lord, got all that? I had no clue. I joined the Methodist church with Darlene so I could play on the softball team. And don't laugh at me, some of you are the same way. We had a good softball team. I got tricked. So can God use the things of the world to bring you into the kingdom? You bet, buddy. Because in order to play softball, I had to go to church. You were only allowed to miss so many weeks out of the month, and you didn't get to play softball. So when I entered into that physical thing of softball, that didn't last long. And I had to discipline myself because I loved the worldly more than I did the spiritual. But guess what happened? By going to church week after week after week after week, sometimes sitting there like, oh, my God, when's this going to be over? Anybody know how I feel or felt? Then the gospel started wearing on me. (laughs) God wore me down. And we had a little revival at the Burlington Methodist Church and he was preaching his guts out just like I'm doing right now. Brother Don tipped him and he preached and he preached and he preached and he married us in that same church. And all I could think of was, man, I got to do something about this. I cannot endure this much longer. Some of you in here today, the gospel has knocked all off of you that he can knock off. And now all that's left is you accepting what God wants to turn you into. And so I sat there, and I sat there, and I sat there, and after the Sunday revival started, and I thought, oh, my God, Because now i got to go to revival every night. <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about, don't you? So I went on Monday to revival. And I thought, there ain't nothing happening here that I ain't heard before. Skeptic, uncomfortable, perplexed. And I remember that Monday night, Brother Don gave an altar call, and I just held on. How many of you ever did that? And I went home that night, and I remember telling God, Whoops because I would reached the end of my physicality. I just couldn't endure it no more. And I remember telling him that night, God, just keep me alive, and when I go back tomorrow, I'm going to do this, whatever it is. And I remember that church service started, and there wasn't any people in there. They didn't have to say anything. They could have sang, take me out to the ball game, and I was going to the altar that day. I was going because I recognized that my physicality had hit its limits. I wasn't going to be any better playing softball. Physically, I was spent. I didn't want to end up in torment if what he was saying was true. I had to believe, and I had the choice just like the rich man in Lazarus. Do I live for now, or do I live for eternity? And they started a little bit. I don't really remember what happened, but I hit that altar. And I felt the cleansing power of God come all over me from top to bottom. It was like God took a scouring pad or the the most the industrial cleanser is what I needed. The stuff that you don't even touch it because it'll burn you up. That's what was going through my body. And that was the day that God changed my life. And I realized since then that sure, sometimes I try to slip back into the physical and the things that I don't need. But the most important thing is I found the spiritual release I was looking for. Another thing I see when I preach the gospel is people get afraid. Because way down deep somewhere that they know that the gospel's true. Especially in this country. We know that the gospel's true. Amen. But then the last thing I see is people that are glad about it. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the world treats the gospel as a threat. That's right. yeah. Think about it. God's not asking us to give up anything that's good for us. He asks us to give up things that are bad for us so that we can live a long and productive life and be led by the Holy Spirit. It's good when you go somewhere and you find something that reinforces this. In Matthew chapter 11, if you'll go there real quick, and I'm going to finish with this. Matthew chapter 11. Scripture that you've all heard. Verse 28, after we came back from Indiana yesterday, we decided to stop and get a bite to eat, and we went to a place, and there's this lady that works in there. We know her, not personally, but when you walk into the place we were eating, she, uh, she just gets your attention. She gets your attention. She's so happy. She's smiling. She's even a little bit loud. But you know where she is in the place. And she came up and she was going to serve us. And I'm so glad she was the one because she was just what we needed also after this week. And she was bubbling and carrying on and laughing and she just this and that. And she came over to our table and I said, what makes you so happy all the time? And she said, because I put him, she leaned over a little bit, she said, because I put him number one in my life. (laughs) And then she said this, my soul is at peace. Young lady, probably early 30s, but because of the way she behaved, because of the way that she impressed us. She didn't know we were preachers or anything like that. But the joy of the Lord was on her. She wasn't skeptical. She wasn't uh, perplexed. She wasn't uncomfortable sharing the Word of God. She was glad. She was full of joy because she said, my soul is at rest. Even though I'm working in this restaurant and I got problems, my soul's at rest. Can you say that today, that your soul is at rest? If it's not, guess where it is? It's in torment. There's only two places the joy of the Lord and the torment. That's why we got to make sure in this life that we take that bridge across back into the grace of God and the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness, because once we cross over, there's no way back. And it would be unfair of God to change it now since we're under grace or in the New Testament because He treasured the people in the Old Testament just as much as He treasured us. And the same standard applies today, which is the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. That's why there's no way back and there's no way over before it's your time because that's protected by God, which makes Him God, which makes Him sovereign, which keeps Him in the position He's in. Jeremy said something the other day that just, in Bible study, just really impressed me. He said, because we got technology, people think we've got smarter. We haven't got any smarter. We're not measuring our lives by our technology. We measure our lives by our spirituality. And it doesn't matter. And I got to thinking about young people nowadays, and I asked Jeremy, I said, can your kids read a clock? How simple is that? Listen to me. In the Old Testament, you know what they used to tell time? The sun. Somebody figured out to make this big concrete slab and, and put numbers on it, and by the the motion of the sun, which God created, by the way, they could tell what time it was by the shadows. And then we got smarter, and we started making clocks, the pendulums on them that go back and forth. We didn't need sundials anymore. And then we progressed to where we had no wind watches. All you had to do was put the thing on and walk around a little bit and the thing would work. Try doing that with a sundial, carrying one of those around to figure out where you're heading. Think about it a minute. And we've, we've advanced to the place now that most Kids and smaller, smaller kids can't read an old-time regular clock with hands on it. So how much have we progressed? If the numbers aren't there, they can't tell what time it is. <laughs> it's the truth. They got to have the numbers even spelled out. It's one, two, dot, dot, zero, zero. It's 12. Think about it a minute. We've progressed. But the measuring stick is still the same. And whether you measure time by a sundial or a grandfather clock or by your cell phone or whatever you measure time by, it's still time and it's still passing. And God wants you to use the time that you've got. That's what God wants. That's why when she said, my soul's at rest. And I was just so happy about that because this is what it says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Torment is not rest. Peace is rest. Go on. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and what, you will find rest for your souls. When she said that, that, that scripture immediately comes to me about, that's all any of us are looking for, is rest for our souls, because that's the part that remains. Our bodies go to the grave. And they turn back into the dust that God formed us out of. But our soul, the soul man, lives forever. That's the part that is the spiritual part that overrules. It should overrule the physicality in our life. And all of us will reach our limits. The Bible says, "It's we get 70 years, and if it's any longer than that, basically paraphrasing, it says we're on God's time. So some of us are on God's time already." So we need to use God's time wisely. Amen, amen.